This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. I will tell you here in a couple of weeks, we're going to go on the power of the tongue here on a Sunday morning. Because oftentimes as believers, we pray for things and we negate or we sever the very things we're asking God for by our tongue. Matthew 12, 34 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of my tongue. Well, we're going to hit that on a few, few weeks from now. But today, we're on the adulterous woman. Go with me to the book of Mark, chapter number 2. Mark, chapter 2. And you know, as you're turning there, regardless of your past, the Lord's desire is always to save you, to forgive you. To set you free where you you live a different life. You're not dominated by sin anymore. But God's desire is to help every one of us, okay? And I'm telling you, he's going to help you today. Doesn't matter your background, he still loves you. In this passage here in Mark 2, Jesus was running with the tax collectors and the sinners again. And he overhears the religious talking about him. And so, just one verse here, Mark 2 verse 17 When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, right there, it would be absurd for Jesus to refuse to deal with the the publicly acknowledged, acknowledged sinner as it would be for a doctor to refuse to treat someone who's sick. Now, I've looked at this in several translations. The New Living said, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they're sinners. Jesus' words. The message says, those who need a doctor are the healthy or the sick. I'm here inviting the sin sick, not the spiritually fit. So understand, God, God's concerned about every one of us in a way. He wants to help us. He wants to save us. He wants to set us free. So to really dig in here to get today, go to the book of John chapter 8. I will ask you to put a marker right there at John 8. We're going to be in and out of there this morning, but that's going to be our main text. Now, as you turn there, you got to ask yourself a couple of questions. What's your guidelines or what's your standards that you live by? Every one of us needs some guidelines or some standards to live by. That's why the Word of God is so powerful, because it never changes. But what happens a lot of times is people will acknowledge God out of their mouth, but they will deny Him by their lifestyles. They won't live by His guidelines. And so, what is this is what we're going to get in today that any time I compromise the standards of the Word of God, I've gone backwards in life. And so we're going to raise the bar today. We begin in John 8, verse 1. And everyone went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. So, 
Let's get an image here, just the first four verses. I want you to really get a picture of this. It's early in the morning, and Jesus is off to the temple. He gets there, and before long, people begin to come into the temple to hear him teach the Word of God. And it said he sat down right in the midst of them. And so Jesus is speaking. And get a picture of this. And all of a sudden, these doors fly wide open. And there's a pack of scribes, plural, and Pharisees, plural. So there was a number of them. And they dragged this woman right into the midst of the church, the temple, right before Jesus. And they say she was caught in the very act of adultery. So in a roundabout way, they have now put this woman on display right in the church. Now, I will tell you this in my own life. If that would have happened to me, you know what I'd say? If this is how the church treats people, I don't ever want to go to church again. Because we forget real quick, the church was for the sinner. When did the church quit taking sinners? When did the church say we must be perfect people? It never did. And so when I look at this right here, it didn't bother Jesus that this woman was in the church. It bothered the religious. Let me ask you something here. Do you tend to to lean more to Jesus or do you tend to lean more to the religious? You know, oftentimes we were raised, depending on how old you were, that on Sunday mornings you ought to look your best. I'm not against that. But does it bother me when people walk in here with a different wardrobe on? Because a lot of times you don't know what people have to wear. I can tell you, it doesn't bother me a bit. I'm just glad to see you. You can come in shorts and flip-flops. You know, when I was young, you know what we call flip-flops? We call flip-flop thongs. And so a couple of years ago, I made the comment, you can come to church in your, your, your thongs and all that. And then my wife's looking at me and said, no, no, no. It's a different, different definition now. So we, we don't go there anymore. We stay away from thongs. Okay, let me get my train of thought back here. Don't want to scar you. But yet you see Jesus' heart. And so she's caught in the very act of adultery. Verse number 5. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? So what they quoted, was that accurate? Yeah, it was accurate. That's Exodus 20 verse 14. That you're to stone them. Now, what's interesting about saying that right there, think about this woman that she hears them say, according to Moses' law, we should stone them. So if that's the truth, she doesn't ever have to worry about going to church again the rest of her life. She's on the verge of dying. So once again, what does this message say to people? You don't want to go to church. You don't want to get around religious folk because they'll kill you. And so I put myself in her shoes again right here. I don't want to live that way. But if the truth was told here, these religious people, the scribes and the Pharisees, they had already disregarded the law because in Leviticus 20 verse 10, it literally says that both the adulterer 
and the adulteress should be stoned to get stoned to death. So when you look right there, she was caught in the very act. Well, where's the dude at? Where'd he go? They were more concerned about stoning her than him. And so really to me, they were beginning to play favorites right here. Just some thoughts. Verse 6. This they said, testing Jesus, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his fingers, though he did not hear them. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Now in my Bible, I, I circle the word sin right there, because he didn't say, You who haven't committed adultery, you cast the, the first stone. He said, You who haven't committed sin, any sin, Go ahead and throw the first stone. So Jesus says this, and then in verse 8, it says, and again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground the second time. This is the second time he stooped down. Now, I used to really think this, that when he stooped down on the ground and wrote, I used to think that he wrote stuff like religious, arrogant, prideful. But I was reading this last week, and this is what I really believe he began to write. He kneeled down, and he wrote, D-O-N-T-H-I-E-F. And then he looked at the guy named Don. And then he wrote, M A. R-Y-L-I-A-R. And he looked up. And then he wrote T-O-M-P-R-I-D-E. And I believe really right there, he was looking at every one of those because he knew. Because if you think back, we were here a few weeks ago. There was the religious man named Simon. And remember, Simon had the thought that if Jesus were a real prophet, he would know whom the woman he was dealing with. And when Jesus picked up what Simon thought, Jesus answered him and said, so really right there, Jesus knew every one of those people's sin right there. Now, how would you like to have been standing there and he wrote your name and then looked up at you? You know what I'd have done? I mean, I dropped every rock I had. Peace. Peace. Verse 9. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, the woman standing in the midst. And can you imagine what's going on in this woman? Here, just a matter of minutes before this, she's thinking, I'm, I'm fixing to die. It's about over. And now everybody's gone, and she's standing there face to face with Jesus. And I really wonder if she's looking at Jesus now. What are you going to do to me, Jesus? Because a lot of times we have this in the back of our mind. And Amy talked about it earlier. We have thoughts that God, he, he sits up in heaven with a fly swatter and he's just waiting to pop you. He's not. That's not God. That's not God. God loves you. So we keep reading verse 10. 
And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Has no one passed judgment or sentence upon you? Has no one passed opinion on you? And she replies, verse 11, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Point number one is this. Jesus doesn't condemn us. He doesn't pass guilt on us. He doesn't pass sentence on us. He doesn't condemn. Actually, in John 3, 17, and we've read this the last few weeks, it said that God sent Jesus into the world to save the world, not to condemn the world. Even of my sins. The word sin means to miss the mark. So God has these standards right here. And when we go against the standards that God set up, we've sinned. We've missed the mark. We've crossed the line. Now, this may help you in this analogy a little bit. But after church, let's just say you go over here on Indiana and you know there's three lanes on each side with a passing lane in the middle. Now, this may be a big revelation to some of you. But the goal is to drive is to stay within your lane. Okay? That's, that's the goal. That's the best thing we can do. But how many of you in here have, whether it was accidentally or intentionally, crossed over into someone else's lane and they passed judgment on you? But how many people have intentionally or accidentally crossed into your lane and you passed judgment on them? You honked your horn. You flashed your lights. You stuck out your hand out the window and waved to them. (laughs) Maybe. See, really, in, in saying that right there, understand it's easy to get where we want to pass judgment on people, but I don't want people to pass judgment on me. Now, uh, Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus set me free from the law of sin and death. What's interesting about that verse, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. A lot of people would say, Well, that woman was a sinner. She wasn't in Christ Jesus. Look back at verse 10, and I want you to see something here. Note this. When Jesus had raised her up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? And no one's to condemn you. She said, No one, Lord. No one, Lord. She didn't say, No one, mister. No one, sir. She literally addresses Jesus here as Lord. So what's the significance of that? Well, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if I confess Jesus Lord out of my heart and believe that he's the son of God, I'll be saved. So in essence right here, I believe when she submitted and said, Lord, she got born again. She got saved right there. Interesting, isn't it? Turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians 5. Now leave your place there in John. Because I want to show you what happens to every one of us when we get born again. 2 Corinthians 5. So as you're turning there. God declares us not guilty when we are guilty. And you may say, well, how does that work? 
Well, that's what I want to show you this because in, in my own heart, God has declared me not guilty even though I know I'm guilty. How many of you know in here you're guilty? I'm guilty. I can stand here before you and tell you, I have sinned. But in Titus chapter 1 verse 2, it says, God cannot lie. And so when God says, I declare you not guilty, he's not kidding. So we pick up in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15. And Jesus died for all. All. That means every one of us in this room. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and he rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, to the human point of view. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Now that word reconcile literally means we were bought back. That because of what Jesus did, he settled our relationship with Father God. Understand this, when it talks about reconciliation, the only way that can ever happen for me and you to be reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus. That's it. There is no other way. So we keep reading here. He said, And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was with in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. When it talks about not imputing their trespasses to them, it's literally saying, God does not sit up in heaven and count your sins. And I thought I'd get some amen. Man, with me, I thank God. I mean, it'd be very easy to look at Philip and say, Philip and Senior, man, God starts tallying. I don't mean that ugly toward him, I'm just saying. But that's what this is like. God doesn't do that anymore because of what Jesus did for us. And so he goes, not imputing their trespass to them, and has committed us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors. How many of you know that? You're an ambassador for Jesus. Actually, you are his voice, his hands, his feet, his representative here on earth. For Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ, we have to be reconciled to God. Now, pay close attention to verse 21. For he, Father God, made him the Lord Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we may become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus bore our sins on the cross, and he endured the penalty we deserved. So right here, this is what I like to call the great exchange. God took our sins, and he took Jesus' righteousness. And when you receive Jesus as Lord of your life, you know what he says? You're justified. You're now the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm a brand new creation in him. I'm a partaker of his divine nature. On me, he will not impute sin. And so I got to get a hold of this right here because I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. He comes into my heart and he changes my nature. This is exactly what Jesus did for me and you. Now go back to John chapter 8. I'm going to start in the last part of verse 10. Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? 
She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Point number one is Jesus isn't condemning. Point number two, Jesus does not compromise his standards. If you'll note right there, he specifically said, go and sin no more. He didn't say, listen, darling, it's okay if you keep doing that. That's not what he said. He loved her, but he had standards up here. And if we were to look at this passage here, if you went back just a couple books into John 5, a few weeks ago we were there, and with the lame man he said, go and sin no more unless a worse thing come upon you. So when you look at what was taking place right here, he didn't compromise. Luke 6.46 says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do the things that I say? So it's very easy to say, well, Jesus is Lord of my life, but the proof of the pudding's in the eating. And so what's happened to us as a people, as a culture, as a society, we think we've evolved where we know more than the Word of God. I've heard people say, the Bible's outdated. Can I tell you something? The Bible's not outdated. It's forever settled in heaven. And the word of God was never meant to be multiple choice. I like this one, but I don't like that one. I like this one. And so what's happened as people, we've tried to redefine sin. It's not our job to redefine sin. Understanding God's eyes Sin has always been sin, and sin will always be sin, and the wages of sin is death. So right here in this passage, Jesus, he didn't condemn, but he sure didn't compromise. Let me give you a verse, and this just happened the other day, Thursday morning. This is Proverbs 28, verse 9 in the New Living. It says, God detests the prayers of a person who ignores his word. Let me say it again. God detests the prayers of a person who ignores his word. This is what I believe this looks like. That we go into the presence of the Lord. We get on our knees and we pray. And the minute we get up off our knees, we return to our sin as a a dog returns to his vomit. Understand, you can pray all day long, all you want. You can get mad and say, Father God, why aren't you hearing my prayers? But a lot of this falls back and says, do I live by his word? Do I obey his word? Something that, again, Jesus raises the standard right here. Now, I want you to see this biblically. I'm going to go to the book of Matthew, chapter 11. Go there. And then we're going to go to Hebrews, chapter 7. Because you're going to see how Jesus lives specifically in these two verses. Matthew chapter 11. Verse 19. And just reading this one verse. The son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, this is describing Jesus right here. It specifically said he was a friend of the tax collectors. They were scum. 
but he was also a friend of the sinners. He was a friend of the sinners, yet he never sinned. What a combination. He was a friend of the sinners, but yet he never sinned. Okay, go with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Let me, let me tell you a little true story here that happened. Me and Shelly had been born again for about a year and a half. And, and we were at Bible school. And there was a guy who lived in my apartment complex that he, he was a good sinner. He'd lived on his own since he was about 17. Actually, his father was in the military and he was living in the nation of Iran at the time. He got caught selling hash over there. And his father gave him a one-way airplane ticket into New York City at 17 and said, you're on your own, buddy. So he had been raised on his own. And he became a, a great friend of ours. Great friend. I mean, an incredible friend of ours. So much that me and Shelly became very influential in leading him to the Lord. And he still serves the Lord to this day. But I played in this basketball league when I was there. And it was a very, very competitive league. I mean, it wasn't just a little, little fun league. It was competitive there was a guy that had played for the Philadelphia 76ers there. There was a pro football player who was a tight end for the Redskins. And I promise he was a descendant of Goliath. He was huge. Huge. And so we would, we would go to the gym on Saturday mornings for this league. And literally there would be hundreds of people in there. And it was almost all Bible school students. Now understand, when you get to Bible school, you got a lot of people who are really, they think, religious. I know more than you. I'm better than you. Well, this guy in the car, apartment complex, he loved to go to the gym with us. He loved to go. And when you looked at him, he was rough on the outside and on the inside. And this guy was extremely, extremely tough. Pound for pound, he was the toughest guy I've ever seen in my life. I had seen him in action several times and it wasn't pleasant. But he loved to go to the game. So get this, this, this picture here. We would walk into the gym, me and him and Shelly. And Shelly is probably four or five months pregnant with my daughter, Amanda. So we go walking in. This guy has this massive ponytail. I mean, his hair was thick, pulled back. He's tatted. He's pierced everywhere. He has his pack of his cigarettes in this pocket. He's got his Miller Low Life and his Budweiser shirts on. So we walk in, and people begin to look at him like, what's he doing here? He loved the game so much, guys. There were times I would look down. He would be sitting on our bench. And some of the Bible school students on my team, they couldn't figure it out. They would say to me on Monday the following, they'd say, who is that dude that comes with you? And you know what I'd say? He's my friend. He's my friend. They didn't know this, guys. He would literally have killed for me and more so Shelly than me. He literally would have. I, I'm t this is the truth. If there was ever anybody that rose up against me or Shelly and he was in the room, he would look and it was like I'd say, down, boy, down. Don't, no, easy, easy, okay, it's all right. But yet, 
he was judged because of his appearance. But I read what it said here about Jesus. He was a friend of a sinner. Now watch what happens here in in Hebrews 7, verse 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us. He was perfectly adapted for us. Who was holy. He's harmless or innocent, undefiled or blameless. But he's separate from sinners. Now, we just read a minute ago, he was a friend of sinners, but this verse says he was separate sinners. So people look at that and they say, Jesus was thoroughly confused. He was bipolar. Jesus just acted like whoever he was around. No, that's not true. Jesus loved the sinner. He didn't live like the sinner. And he didn't drop his standards for the sinner either when you begin to see this. And so what happens, guys, is anytime I'm a believer and I live beneath my standards of the Word of God, I've compromised that area. And when I compromise that area, I forfeit my platform or I forfeit my influence in their life. Because what an unbelieving world finds simply amazing is when we acknowledge Him with our mouth, but we deny Him with our lifestyle. And so, in Jesus' life, He loved the sinner, but He influenced them. They didn't influence Him. Here's a word of knowledge for some of you. If your walk from Jesus isn't real strong yet, and you don't live by the convictions of the Word of God yet, stay away from the sinner right now, okay? Not forever, but right now. Because they'll influence you and you won't influence them. And you say, Pastor, you kind of sound like you know that from experience. I do. I'd gotten born again. I got, I got full of God. And I love God. I got... But I'm telling you, it wasn't strong in my belief. And I would tell people, you know what? I'm going to the bar to win every one of them to Jesus tonight. And you know what? Instead of me baptizing them in the Holy Spirit, they would baptize me in Jack Daniels. I wasn't strong enough. Now, I'll tell you right now, I can go in the midst of them right now. And it won't bother me a bit. I'll love them. I'll pray for them right there. It doesn't bother me a bit. But there's got to be a place in my life where I come up and say, you know what? i got to have a relationship with Jesus. So we go back. Uh, go to one more passage. Go, go to, go to uh, Malachi 2. Let me show you this. I want you to see this. Malachi 2, the last book of the Old Testament, and then we'll go back to John 8, and we'll get done. Malachi chapter 2. God has standards for every one of us. Now, when, it, when I read this verse, guys, understand this. When I prepare for services, I never prepare for a service and I say, you know, I pray that Jason Linden will be here this week. He really needs to hear this. I never do that, okay? Stuff just comes to me and I just preach the word. I'm just telling you this, what I'm getting ready to read. I'm not judging anyone, okay? Malachi 2, verse 16. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. Why don't you read that, Pastor? I I just want you to let let that really soak in. For the Lord God of Israel hates divorce. Now, it doesn't say this in this verse, but what if I said the Lord God of Israel hates sin? Which he does. 
If you'll note in that passage and what I just said, there is never a reference that says the Lord God of Israel hates people. He never hates people. Ever. He just knows there's consequences when we violate his word. So in this passage right here, why does he say he hates divorce? For it or because it divorce covers the garment with one's violence. It covers ones with cruelty. When I talk about sin, that if I said the Lord God of Israel hates sin, he doesn't hate people, but the consequences of sin or the wages of sin, according to Romans 6, 23, is death. So God's saying, listen, I've got standards. I've got guidelines. And as long as you live within them, it's going to be well. So we go back to chapter 8 and remember this woman here. He said, daughter, go and sin no more. So we've seen, back to chapter 8. We've seen that Jesus doesn't condemn people. And we've seen that he doesn't compromise the standards for anybody. Now I want to go back to verse 3. And this is the last point. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And they had sat in her midst. Then they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Why do I read that again? When you study Jesus' life, he would get around people, and the Bible said he would be moved with compassion. How many have ever been moved with compassion toward people? There's times in my life that the Lord will really give me a glimpse of compassion, that I truly see people with his eyes. And it moves me. And when I read this, can you imagine the compassion that went out of his heart toward this woman. They've drug her in. They've ridiculed her. They've beaten her up. Verse 7, same chapter. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. You know what I believe Jesus was telling to them? Where's your compassion? Can you walk in forgiveness? And when I read this, I really believe because of Jesus' compassion toward this woman and her, his forgiveness toward her, she gets born again. And she has an extreme makeover. And I really believe with all my heart that when we get to heaven, this woman's going to be there. But how many people in our life do we cross on a daily basis that we have no compassion for them? There is no compassion. And so even when I'm, I'm studying on these lines, I started saying, Lord, fill me with compassion again. I, I want to see people through your eyes. I want to see people through your tears. I, I, I want them to experience the love of God. And Jesus still saves. And Jesus still forgives right here. And what I saw happen with this woman is that she realized that Jesus carried her sins. And Jesus carried her burdens. And that's what I believe he wants a lot of you to know today. That I don't care what you've done. You're welcome here. And I will tell you this. I'll never from this pulpit publicly disgrace you. 
And the reason I say that, we've had ones that have come in. I had a dear woman who still comes to church. She was at a church years ago when she was publicly disgraced in their church. That's not God. God loves people. And we love you. And I believe that God's wanting to have an experience and an encounter with you today. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.